Welcome to episode four of the Consultancy Business Podcast. This one's got the rather ominous title, Reaping What You Sow. I'm Phil Lewis, and in this series, we're here to help you build the consultancy nobody else can. And I'm pleased to say that with this episode, we're changing things up. Like all good consultancy businesses should, we're innovating. So in the second half of this episode, we'll be answering questions and problems that have been shared with us by members of the consultancy business community and from next month, subscribers to this podcast. More on subscriptions later. Because a problem shared is a problem halved, I'll be joined by my long-term business partner and in the words of one of her clients, a truly transformational coach, the brilliant Claire Croft. What does a good, mutually beneficial relationship really mean to me? You know, we don't we don't codify what a good relationship looks like to us. You know, very rare can you sit with somebody and say, what are your values? And they can really quickly explain to you why it's those values and what it means to them. Before we get to Claire and your questions, in the first half of the show, we've got an insightful conversation with Stuart Williamson. Stuart is the Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at the Jockey Club, which is the UK's largest commercial horse racing organisation. It owns 15 of Britain's most famous racecourses, including Aintree, Cheltenham and Newmarket. It's governed by Royal Charter, so all its profits are reinvested back into the sport of horse racing. Stuart explains so well in this discussion that in consulting, as in so much else in life, you will reap what you sow. So, I started by asking Stuart for his take on what seeds consultants should be sowing, which is to say, what is it we're there to do? It's a really good question because I have definitely worked in environments where the consultant was wheeled in to give, when sometimes difficult messages needed to be landed, the consultant, you know, is is sometimes wheeled in. I do not subscribe to that school of thought in any way, shape or form. I think, in short, I've got to own it. It's my job to provide the right level of support, the challenge, the guidance for the business and the people who, you know, making decisions about where we go next, what we do, to provide that almost route map. What are the challenges ahead? What are the blockers? Where are the pitfalls with what we're doing? And also, where are the opportunities? And how do we chart a course through all those challenging situations to uh, to get there? So I feel really passionately, it's my job to own that, but I don't have all the answers myself. I never do. I never pretend to. And I value taking input, advice, perspectives from from multiple people. And that's both within the team, within the organisation, and also people with external perspectives, ideas, built up from working across multiple different sectors in multiple different environments. And that adds enormous value richness of perspective, being able to play out all those different perspectives, but in a way that is clear and definitive and confident in the route that the organisation should take. I mean, I've said for years, in, in one sense, the good consultant is almost like the unseen consultant. No client should ever become dependent on a consultant or a consultancy. And also no consultant or consultancy should become more visible than a client in their own organization. You know, we're there in support of, and ideally, you know, quite quietly there in support of clients. It's hard to win clients. 
And if I'm not getting across the organization and building my reputation within a client organization, then it's really difficult for me because I may not get any more work out of the client because I'm not getting the credit for the work that's being done. And it took me years and years personally to get comfortable with the idea that, well, no, actually, if you just work in support of people in the way that they need you to work in support of them, your reputation will take care of itself anyway. But it's quite difficult. I think a lot of the bigger consultancies, almost they come in and elbow clients out of the way because they're so conscious of and desiring to protect their own brands and their own reputations. It's almost like the actual client ends up not getting a look in, you know. So I think what you said is exactly healthy and the right way to think about it, both for client and consultant. It just brings up a lot of tension. You know, I, you know I've, I've worked on both sides of the fence. I've worked in consultancy. I started my career at working in a PR agency and I get the need to build those relationships within the business. I've had some, honestly, on this side of the fence, in-house, some really bad experiences where I have built really trusted relationships with consultancies and I've given them a really open door because I'm an open book. I, I never claim anyone else's work for my own. I would recognise when there's other people there. I work really hard to ensure that consultancies get access to the right parts of the business that they need in order to build knowledge and build understanding. But I've had specific examples in the past where that has been abused by consultancies. It really breaks trust. There is a bit of an adage, isn't there? You know, good consultants need to make the client look good. Rubbish. It's about delivering an outcome for a business that makes the business stronger and helps the business to grow. If you're delivering those outcomes, then that builds trust. And then with that trust comes access. I'm really happy to open the door to people that I trust and encourage them to go and have conversations and build relationships across the business. But but trust is trust is critical because the minute, you know, the minute you start to sense ulterior motives on either side of the partnership, you're done for. I've also had brilliant relationships with consultants and to save your blushes, you know, you're one of them, Phil, because sometimes I've been in environments and situations where, look, you know, there isn't any money in the till to work with a partner or a consultant. And actually just having, building relationships with people over time just to still bounce things off and, and, and talk things through is, is critical. So the long game is really important in nurturing those relationships for the right reasons. I think it's critical. I've long been a fan of almost like the sort of Hippocratic Oath of consulting, you know, first do no harm being you know, the number one thing a consultant needs to be able to do, which should feel like a hygiene factor. And yet if you talk to a lot of clients, so many clients have been burned by, I don't know, consultants not being cognizant of and therefore mishandling internal politics or actively trying to elbow clients out of the way or briefing against the clients that have got them in or any number of things that kind of go on, a lot of the bigger consultancies, and I don't want to talk ill of them because actually a lot of them are incredibly competent, but there can be certain ways of matrix managing client relationships as well that actually ultimately squeeze out individuals. And all of that is, it creates a category issue for consulting and that issue is trust. Mm because so many people have been burned by poor behavior as well as poor advice. I wanted to talk to you about crisis mm. management. 
because it's another really interesting area of corporate affairs, I think. And often organisations like the ones that you've worked for to support on something like crisis management. And I find myself always really interested in this. It's like when the chips are down and you have to turn to a consultancy for crisis management support, what makes a good one? And is that different from the kind of support that you would seek on more business as usual stuff or strategic planning or whatever? Yeah, really, really interesting one. The the first thing that comes to mind, I think, is where I think you're smart about working with the right consultants to ensure you're prepared for a crisis. And I think doing the work in advance and getting those perspectives, getting those thoughts about, you know, how have other businesses reacted? How have they behaved? But critically, how have corporate affairs teams prepared? I, I liken a crisis, you know, in terms of how my team or corporate affairs teams need to respond is, you know, it's all in the preparation. The more you can prepare and road test and, 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 and trial a range of scenarios, but critically understand your positions. I liken it a bit to that analogy of the Formula One teams in the pit lane who get the tyres on, get the tyres off, right, bring another car in. How can we do it quicker? How can we? They're all calm. They're all controlled. Each of them has a very specific role and they work in harmony. And where I've really got the best out of consultancies or enabled, I think, a better response, a calmer response in a crisis is where we've use consultancies to help us prepare, which is all well and good. <laughs> a lot of it goes out the window when immediately it hits the fan. And for me, the best the best experiences and the best examples I've had are where the consultancy is prepared to just roll their sleeves up and actually get stuck in where they need it as part of the team. And I found that that's where often they become part of the team quicker because there's nothing like a crisis to build relationships, you know, when you're really in the thick of it. But I think it's that ability to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in as well, which is which has always been really critical. And I think in most cases has probably led to more work. It builds trust. It builds, you know, goodwill, um, and it and and it and it goes and it goes an awful long way. Well, I think I think there's a couple of things in that. There's the investing ahead of the curve in terms of preparedness for crises, which I think is super interesting, by the way, because corporate affairs is probably the only area of most businesses in which I think that happens, the preparation for crisis. You know, a lot of the time, one of the challenges for consultants, we can see problems looming on the horizon for organizations, but people tend to commission stuff on the basis of cure rather than prevention. So actually, there's a really interesting lesson, not only for consultants, but also for clients in the kind of work you do, which is much, much more proactive. But I also think it's about investing, it's back to your earlier point, about investing in relationships as well, so that there is good working knowledge, a good kind of sense of the different characters and personalities around the table, some degree of rapport, I guess, if you want to put it in those terms, and actually a kind of desire to help, which is actually if I know somebody and I like somebody and we've done some work all together, then quite happy to grab the pail and start bailing water out of the boat. Yeah. There's a sort of backdrop of a relationship there that makes that possible. So when, you know, I do this in my own work, when I've had clients who've gone through a tough time career-wise, or they're going through a crisis in the organization, the last conversation you want is, 
let's stick the chess clock on. The conversation you want is, well, actually, we're in a mature adult relationship. Then there may need to be some conversation about fees at some point. But at the moment, let's just grab the pail and get on and make sure the boat yeah. <laughs> stays afloat. So there's, the, I, if I if I heard you correctly, I think there's those two dimensions, isn't there? Yeah, spot, spot on. I mean, there's a word you said in there that really struck a chord with me, which is proactivity. It's so powerful. And, and yet, it's something that I have really struggled to come by. I work with a consultancy um, here at the Jockey Club at the moment, and I've got a, a, both a team and a consultancy who are both really proactive in their mindset. And that's great. It just helps create ideas and it creates solutions. And it sometimes things are part, sometimes they're put away. Others, it's something that you can take to the business and and and, and challenge them on. So that 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 proactivity is for me gold in a client and, and consultancy relationship. I've always said there's two competing views of the world in consulting, right? And the first view of the world, which I still believe is a dominant view, is that value follows money. In other words, give me the cash, I'll give you the value. And you can kind of understand that because, of course, at some level as a consultant, you've only got your time and your skills and your experience and your knowledge and all the rest of it to sell. But the other view of the world is that money follows value. So in other words, if you make it your business to try and create value for the people that you work with, then whether that's on the context of investing in relationships before time or whether it's in the context of actually really putting everything you've got into making the relationship that you've already got with somebody a success, then actually what it tends to do, not always to your point, but often is lead to more opportunity and obviously for the consultancy, more revenue and so on. And so I think we have choices to make as consultants, which is, do we want to be in a world of money follows value? Do we want to be in a world of value follows money? Now, if we're in the world of money follows value, the one thing we just need to be careful of in that context is, to your earlier and very good point, you need to manage that investment and make sure that it remains proportionate and that you're not leaving yourself exposed in doing it. But I think a mindset generally of kindness, generosity, human-centeredness, and understand that we're in relationships, not transactions, is actually the really important part of building a long-term sustainable relationship. All those things you've said should only be true only if there's a a two-way trusted relationship. It goes both ways. Because, you know, that time invested in coming up with those valuable ideas is time and you know there is only so much of it and the 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 money element of the equation is really important and that trust and relationship is critical if there's one thing that you wish consultants or consultancies would just stop doing in terms of their interactions with you and the organizations that you've worked with and for over the years, Stu, what would that be? All all too often I've sat across the room virtually or or physically, you know, of consultancies who are waiting to be told what to do next. And so that proactivity of thought and ideas and the confidence within that to challenge and provoke and ask the awkward question, because it all starts to build and produce different ideas and, and, and different perspectives. 
Stuart, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Stuart. It's always great to hear from an organisation like the Jockey Club that's so woven into the fabric of a nation's life and heritage. There are three main takeaways from that conversation. One, it is not the consultant's job to substitute the client's role. Success in relationships relies on everyone playing in position and playing well. Two, it's essential for consultants to play the long game in building and maintaining client relationships. This involves making wise choices in where and how to invest time in relationship development. And three, in a crisis, how well an organization is able to respond is a consequence of both preparation and the condition of its internal and external relationships. For consultancies, establishing mutual trust and confidence with clients primes you to be able to support them with efficient and effective action when the chips are down. You're listening to the Consultancy Business Podcast with me, Phil Lewis. If you're finding value in these conversations, please share and recommend these episodes to others and rate and review us in your podcast player. We're a startup, so that kind of support helps us out more than you might know. Now, as I've said already, we're switching things up from this episode onwards. From now on, the second half of each episode will be me and a guest from the world of consulting, providing answers to questions and problems raised by members of the consultancy business community and our Patreon backers. Think Agony Ant, consulting style. So, let's bring in Claire Croft, my brilliant business partner at Corporate Punk. We're also delighted to have her as a faculty member at the consultancy business. Claire is someone who, like me, has spent more than a few years traveling the pathway of being an independent consultant, and who has learned a few lessons and picked up just one or two battle scars along the way. First question, I've been working on a project for a few weeks now and it's been going well, or so I thought, but I've now been told that the budget for the rest of the project has been cut. I'm really worried about what to do next as I haven't got the work lined up. I'm also angry with my client and wondering if I should tackle it with them. Any ideas? Oh. Depressingly common one, isn't it? I was going to say we've been here before. <laughs> and actually a disappointingly, increasingly common problem, I think, consultants are facing as clients are increasingly erratic in the management of their budget setting and their budget management. So yeah, really feel for him that or her that they're going through this because it's really hard not to take it personally. You know, you're the one doing the work. It's really hard to cre- create that emotional distance about the fact that actually it's about them and what's going on for them, not necessarily you and what you're doing. It's never a great emotion anger, is it? It's not a resourceful emotion, even though it's an understandable one. My thinking around it would be there's probably stuff that you could do now and there are some pointers around how you move forward into other relationships with clients. Mm. So in terms of things you can do now, I mean, what I took from this problem was this idea that the kind of budget's been cut, the gavels come down, Mm. that's the end of it, you know, you're out in the cold, see you later. And I guess my first thing I would think would be, well, what's the conversation that's happening with the client around all of that? Because Mm. is it actually, you know, goodbye so long? Or is it that 
the project is in a place where it may get resumed later on. The other thing that seems to me to be the case is that pausing projects at certain moments in time actually can be more damaging. So I guess there's there's two conversations that can happen, isn't there? There's the first conversation, which is, is this goodbye or is it farewell? You know, are we going to be able to pick this up later on down the line? There's another conversation, which is, have we really examined the reason for this pause? I agree. I mean, I think the start point is you can't not have a conversation with the client about this, right? Because in the absence of information, we are brilliantly placed as human beings to make up the worst possible story, right? Having a conversation with the client is the quickest way to navigate that, in my in my opinion, is to find out, is exactly as you're describing, what is the the detail behind the action. And I think the thing that's really important going into that conversation is your own personal boundaries and wants and needs around the relationship with the client, right? Getting a sense of, well, is this the first time, is this the first alarm bell with this client that they've taken quite an abrupt action? If it's the first time, you probably might be in the headspace of, I really want to explore this and work out how can we make it a farewell, not a goodbye, if actually this is the second or third time where the behaviours haven't aligned with the contract we've set, there's some decisions to be made around, well, what do I really want with this client going forward? So I think getting resourced about your wants and needs going into it are really important as well. If it is the first time, if this has literally come out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. An interesting thing to think about is why has it come out of nowhere? Mm. Like there's no such thing as all of a sudden in business. So there may well have been signals within that organization that something wasn't right. And the question for the consultant then becomes either were you picking up on those signals and actually choosing to ignore them, which I know I've done more than once in the past, personally. Or it is, were those signals not reaching you at all, which actually might itself suggest some useful questions about the nature of the engagement that you've got with the organisation, depending on what you've been engaged to do. There's a conversation needed with the client to establish really what's gone on and is there an opportunity to revisit it and is it goodbye or farewell is it a pause or is it something that we might resume but there's a whole set of questions behind it around how has a situation transpired the other thing you said that i thought was really interesting was the point about my contract with Mm. the client Mm. because i think there's two there's two ways we contract with clients isn't there there is we contract legally and you know, we can talk about good and useful things to build into a contract legally. But we also, if we're sensible, contract with the client about how we're going to be working with them. And if we're contracting with the client about how we're going to be working with them, it seems reasonable to me that as part of that process of that early stage exploration and discussion about how we're working together, that we establish some basic principles about what does happen if we decide to part company? So, you know, all of this sounds a bit like the best time to have planted a tree was 10 years ago. 
but there are lessons in all of this absolutely that many of us need to learn for how we move forward you know do you know the other thing that comes up for me is how could you be of service in this moment to your client right because it it's it's equally possible that the client wasn't picking up on internal signals and so to a certain degree it's come as all of a sudden to them as well, right? I always, as you know, come down on the side of trust the intent was positive, the execution is what's kind of gone wrong. And I think it depends on the length of the relationship, depends on the quality of the relationship, depends on how important it is for you to protect this relationship. But I think it can be worth considering if you looked at this through the lens of there's no malintent here, it is a set of circumstances that have led to an unfortunate outcome for me, I think you can resource yourself to ask the question, well, what could be the conversation I have with the client that could be in service of both them exploring what they want and need, but also in service of me feeling like I've protected my sense of agency and utility. From where I'm sat, if this is a client that is one that you want to protect and you want it to be a a pause, not a full stop, then there's some thinking to do around what, if any, offers could I make? What, if any, useful conversations could we have to explore ways of working around the challenge that the client faces around budget? You know, it's not necessarily for everyone, but I sometimes will feel quite comfortable to say, okay, look, let's have a conversation about deferred invoicing, right? If there's confidence that the budget will come back within a reasonable time, it really comes down to, for me, how important is this client and this work to you should be the driver of whatever actions and conversations you go on to have with the client. But not having a conversation is not an option. So anger is very understandable because it can feel like we're in this quite asymmetrical relationship with clients, can't it? Mm. But actually having a conversation, which is the help me understand what's happened here conversation and how, and that your point, which I think is really right, which is how can I be of service in this moment mm. might actually in the end reveal insight about what's really gone on that, helps alleviate some of that anger and the other thing that's worth thinking about is where is that anger really directed because the other point that the person writing this um particular around this particular issue raised is i haven't got any other work lined up yeah so there's been a decision made by that individual to wholly commit to this one client this one project mm which is a decision that individual's made. It's not a decision that the client's made for that individual. Now, the client may have asked the individual to do that, but you know, as consultants, most of us are used to and negotiate with our clients around the fact we've got plenty of things going on at the same time. So for me, what can come up at those moments if you're feeling angry about the fact that something's happened is the actual anger partly directed at yourself in terms mm. of, how have I ended up this exposed? How have I ended up in a situation where I've been so reliant on this one thing happening? Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, then what is that trying to teach yeah. about 
how you might want to run your business differently going forward. And I'm conscious that's really cold comfort in a situation where you had a contract yeah. bald. But there's there's lessons in the pain as well, potentially. And I think maybe on some level, we don't necessarily realise we made that choice at times. You know, when you find a, a client and it, it feels like they want to do the work you want to do, and it feels like the right scale of project that you want to be working on, it can consume you, right? The excitement or the relief sometimes, right? That the the plum opportunity has come your way. You may not even be aware that you're making that choice to fully commit versus, you know, investing time and energy in other things as well. But I, I totally agree. It's a moment of awareness and reflection that's really worthy of like what led me to this point where part of what I'm struggling with is the fact that I've got no more, no other business to turn to. The thing that I think is an instant opportunity though is, well, you do at least have the time available to go and seek that, right? So how can you use your time productively now, the time that you thought you wouldn't have? What's the best way to use it in service of creating new opportunities for you? And it's not... The, the scattergun approach of I'll just try a million things. It's like take that time to kind of go, right, what do I want to find more of and what do I want to lead myself towards in terms of new additional work from other clients? There's some content in advance our course which goes to how do you manage that? Mm -hmm. When the worst happens, what's a really good set of strategies to adopt and what the wrong things to do in those mm. sorts of moments actually are as well because again well I'll speak for myself I've certainly been there doing the wrong thing at moments when trouble strikes mm. so to kind of wrap all that together I think you know you the questioner asked I'm wondering if I should tackle it with my client this conversation says yes but maybe yeah. tackles not the yeah. right word yeah. explore might mm. be a really good mm. word to actually have which is ex have a conversation with your client explore what's happened consider how you might be of service to the client in that moment and see where that lands mm. and then there's also potentially some useful reflection when the time's right you know it can be difficult when you feel like you've just been punched of course but reflections are on perhaps why was i caught unawares by this and what might that be telling me about mm. how I'm engaging how can I protect myself in the relationships that I build with my clients against those sorts of outcomes and actually how do I ensure that I'm not exposed by virtue of building the right kind of quality of sales pipeline going forward mm. but you will not be the first consultant who has had that happen to them there are a couple of consultants even on this podcast talking to you now who've <laughs> yeah. had that happen to them well, and most of us <laughs> most of us go through it next question i'm fairly new to consulting and seem to have a lot of cups of coffee and networking meetings that feel promising but end up going nowhere how can i tell if i'm wasting my time or not Oh, God, the, the frogs that must be kissed, right? <laughs> and my God, have we kissed some frogs in our time. That's a different podcast. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the later evening one. Uh, I mean, I, I have huge amounts of empathy for this one because I can't even begin to think of the hours I personally have wasted in conversations that felt really good and went nowhere. And what I realised pretty quickly for me is I was just 
entering these conversations with utter gratitude that they wanted to talk to me. What I wasn't entering into them with was, is this the right person I want to talk to? Why do I want to talk to them? What outcome am I hoping for? And what requests do I want and need to be making in the conversation, right? So it all ended up being a bit like... um like in Friends, when Chandler's dating Rachel's boss, he'd be like, we'll do this again sometime, right? Both of us knowing that that's not really what was wanted or desired. What's been your experience, Phil? I think it was Martin Buber. Talks about I, it, and I, thou interactions, right? Mm. So a philosopher called Buber, I, it, and I, thou. And basically, an I, it interaction is where we don't see the human being we're just in it for a transaction. And the I-thou interaction is where we see the human being and really encounter the human being at the other end of the interaction. And my my sense of a lot of this sort of stuff is that when we go out to networking, we're having I-it interactions, not I-thou interactions, right? So in other words, what's basically going on is kind of everybody's sizing each other up going, is there a useful transaction <laughs> that mm. can be made here? But as soon as you put it into a transactional space, I think actually what you're doing is you're really limiting the potential to for anything useful to evolve out of it. Because from where I'm sitting, the only way to actually make these kind of networking relationships work is actually to approach them as relationships, to approach them as being something that is worthy of development. And understanding if you come at it from a relational lens, you would understand that actually relationship development takes time, it requires investment, but it also requires judgment. You have to kind of work through, and probably quite quickly, is this a relationship that I'm actually willing to start risking some time, effort, energy, Mm. whatever, in service of being able to develop? So I think your point's absolutely right. It's about, is there actually something useful to explore do we have values in common? That yeah. would be the first question you yeah. want to answer. I think if you approach it with a relational lens, do we actually care about the same stuff? And then I think you would be thinking through, okay, well, how do I show up with intention in that relationship? And it can be very difficult for all sorts of reasons. I mean, we all feed ourselves first and you're in that sort of prisoner's dilemma moment where it's like, well, should I do something or do I need to wait for them to do something? And what if neither of us do anything mm. and all that kind of stuff, all those sorts of dynamics mm. in play. So for me, it's like, we have to approach this as a process. We have to approach this as a relationship. It has to be based on shared values. And we have choices to make about how our intentionality, if you will, plays out. Mm. That's where I go. A red flag for me in these sorts of networking, relationship building conversations. The minute somebody says, I've got an abundance mentality, you know they've got absolutely the opposite, right? (laughs) It's like this, I've read the book (laughs) on what I should say. I have never, ever forged a positive relationship with somebody whose opening gambit was, I've got an abundancy. I think the point around that is, I don't really need you to tell me you're funny. I need you to tell me a joke, right? We need to form a connection and explore whether or not together we can see there's something we could do that's better than we're doing on our own, right? It it does come down to values and it does come down to that 
engaging in conversations with a real clarity about what does a good, mutually beneficial relationship really mean to me? You know, we don't, we don't codify what a good relationship looks like to us. You know, very rare can you sit with somebody and say, what are your values? And they can really quickly explain to you why it's those values and what it means to them. But you have to have that awareness in order to evaluate the conversation that you're part of. Now, you do get your gut instinct, right? You, it's a bit like when you used to do recruitment when we were employed and the, the candidate would sit down and within 30 seconds you knew whether or not you wanted to continue the conversation. There is that gut instinct. But of course, people in a business to business context are bringing all sorts of sort of protections, if you like, about what they want to show and how they want to show it and when they want to show it. So you, you do need to take time and you need to be highly alert in each interaction. It's implied behind everything we're talking about is the fact that this takes time. Because if we're talking about relationship development, exploring values, listening to your gut based on what that's telling you, then making choices about where you invest in relationship development, all of that kind of stuff, then then that takes time. Mm. And so the judgment you've got to make, and this is the really difficult thing, and it is a question of practice, is do I think that the conversation that I'm currently in, this early stage conversation with this individual, is going to go somewhere that is meaningful or isn't. Mm. And there's never a kind of binary answer to that. It's only ever sort of questions of probability, it seems to me. Mm. And as time goes on, I think you get more confident in finding ways of exiting conversations that don't feel like they're going to be of value. I mean, somebody said to me years ago, this really helped me actually, because I was the classic, even at networking events, I used to use the usual, I just need to pop to the loo thing <laughs> as a way of kind of getting out. <laughs> Not a very sophisticated way to tie things up. Whereas these days you'll just get a nod from me and it's been really great to talk with you. I think we're expected to circulate. You know, that yeah. kind of closing yeah. is actually much more helpful. So you get a feel for both the right things to kind of exit and indeed how to exit those sorts mm. of conversations. But it's always a judgment call. And to a point also, it depends on how the relationship came about in the first place, because some relationships are easier to exit than others from that perspective, especially where third parties yeah. are concerned. One final, maybe sort of slightly related point I wanted to make here is that I have become wholly intolerant as my own consulting career has gone on for the email that arrives out of the blue with the Phil, you should meet X or Y or Z. It's like the courteous thing to do is to actually call everybody involved in the potential introduction, send yeah. them out about it, check there's an appetite for it, and then move yeah. forward on that basis, you know. So I think my feeling would be approach it as a relationship, check for values, alignment, make calls based on gut around where your time is best invested, and then 
do try and demonstrate some positive intent in the relationships that you yeah. want to invest in, whatever that looks like. You know, it doesn't have mm. to be client intros. And and then over time, hopefully you will find a small number of opportunities that do represent good you know value for you but it always takes time and you will always kiss a lot of frogs and a lot of them will go nowhere you know i think you've got to be willing to give a bit of yourself in service of giving the conversation some sort of chance of getting to moving down the road in a positive way exploring interesting avenues that otherwise might not have been so what is it you're willing to share and give like i'm really comfortable sharing some of the vulnerabilities I experienced around being a business owner. So for example, with prospective coaching clients, I will very happily say, this is what I'm not good at. So just so you know, from the outset, if this is what you need, I want you to know I'm not right for you. Giving is a really important part, I think, of giving yourself a chance of a conversation going somewhere positive. I think that's such a good point. Giving emotionally is a something yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. talk about in that context either, isn't it? I mean, mm. you know, networking events are full of people. It's a bit like your abundance mentality point. Networking events are full of people who just talk relentlessly about how busy uh, they are, in which case I always find myself thinking, well, why are you at a networking event then? Claire, thank you for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. If those were your questions, I hope we've helped in some way. If you're a community member, you're welcome to come back to us for a more in-depth conversation about these themes in your community circle or on the discussion boards. Or just let us know how it's gone and what you did to move things forward. Please feel free to send us more questions or issues you'd like us to work through in future podcasts. For now, I hope that's been helpful. See you soon.